Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This isn't the time for the, you know, trips to the, the, the movie theaters or the, there's the time to lock in on football because, you know, this is all we have is three days left and we got to earn more. And Lambeau's going to be awesome. Uh, historic stadium. Haven't played there since 2018. Very excited to go there. Um, it's really kind of a dream come true. You know, this is all we know. Uh, this is, you know, our players are, are deeply invested at this point. So, you know, this is, this is more than just a game. This is an opportunity to... We put ourselves in a position. You, know, you have to. You have to win to to move on. F everybody, <laughs> literally, and uh, it's just us because um, the world dropped us. You know, the world dropped us on our head, and and uh, it was just us that could pick each, each other up. Words of wisdom as we get into this Friday edition of PFT Live. On my head, how would someone drop me onto my own head? Hello, it's Peter King and Mike Florio with you for the next two hours on Peacock on Sirius XM 85. Sky Sports, NFL in the UK and Ireland podcast wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Peter. Happy divisional round. As Chris Berman always said, the best weekend of the year. Based upon the way the games went last week, here's hoping that this weekend is indeed better than what we saw last week. Well, Mike, I don't remember ever a playoff weekend where no team came from behind in the second half. I mean, there was not a lead change in the second half of all six games last weekend. So you're right. There was some incredible stuff last weekend. The Buffalo Bills playing one of the greatest playoff games of all time. Josh Allen joining without any question the Chris Sims quarterback pantheon he's led the way even when he loses to jacksonville (laughs) but (laughs) but i do think one of the things about this weekend that is so interesting is that you know overnight i woke up this morning about an hour ago and i was uh, scrolling through some text messages and an nfl coach texted me and said when is the last time four road teams won in the divisional round. And I had to say, 
I have never. no idea. Never. I don't even know if it never. ever happened. Right. So I took out my trusty record and fact book this morning and went over it. And Mike, you 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 spoiled it. I was that was gonna be a tease. We were gonna Sorry. tease that. And we were gonna I say, thought you were asking. stay here. <laughs> but anyway, you're right. It's never happened before. And I do think that that one of the great things about this weekend is that I could see a scenario where any road team could win. And it's funny because wildcard weekend, I really factored the loss of home field advantage over the past two years into my thinking. I went with three home teams, three road teams, and I shouldn't have trusted two of the road teams because ultimately only one emerged with the victory, and that was the 49ers. It's good to see that you and Chris Russo still get the hard copy of the record and fact book. I stopped getting it a couple of years ago. I stopped asking for it because I realized, number one, they were in precious supply. Number two, I don't use it anymore. I used to pour over that thing all the time. Everything I need now I get through Google. I get on my phone. The record and fact book is available online. People ask me about it all the time. They used to sell it until people stopped buying it. People eventually got to the point where they're like, why do I need this? And everything I need is available online. But you and Chris Mad Dog Russo, the last two who have a hard copy, and I'm sure yours is inscribed with a handwritten note from Roger Goodell, just like Mad Dog's is. (laughs) Hey, look, you know why I use this, Mike? Because I go back to uh, the 90s, and this basically was everything. It was absolutely everything because there wasn't the internet. There wasn't all that. So I just got used to, I know the page numbers that everything starts at. And like, for instance, if you're trying to figure out that the, what the New England Patriots record is at Buffalo in this century, I mean, since 2000, which actually this century is January 1, 2001, but in the, in the years that begin with 2-0, If you're trying to figure out their record, it's easy to go on there and to just count it up and figure out, oh my God, the Patriots entering last Saturday are 19 and three against it. And you just go down and do it. But anyway, that's my nerd-like quality of when I want to look something up, I still usually use the hard copy. It's amazing because it does show every year for every rivalry, all two, you know, all permutations oh, of teams. Every time they've met, regular season playoffs every year, and uh, it's a great resource. But again, you can get that online too. That's the thing. Everything I always used to go straight to that book for, I can get without having to get up from my seat in front of my computer. So laziness yeah. is ultimately what prompted me to stop getting it because I no longer have to get up, walk across the room get the book, pick it up, bring it over, and open it. I just I just uh, activate Google. All right, let's activate the preparations for the divisional round. The 49ers at the Packers. I was going to say one of the most compelling games of the weekend. It is, but they're all very compelling. Nick Bosa, concussion, listed as questionable. It's looking good for him to play. That's always a little dicey to get into if you're a coach. because, And they don't enforce this, but I can remember when they – first had their concussion epiphany one of the great no-nos is to even talk about a guy who's yet to be cleared he's not cleared it's like he's not even there once he's cleared he's back don't talk about it don't do anything don't put any pressure on him when he's ready he's ready 
But obviously, if he's ready, that makes a difference for the 49ers. They need to shorten the amount of time that Aaron Rodgers has to pick apart their secondary because if he has unlimited time, Peter, he will. And, you know, Mike, I, I really look at this uh, at, at this game as, you know, sort of a survival match because you're absolutely right. Nick Bosa is essential. Fred Warner is almost as essential. And they both come in damaged into this game, and they are vital to whether the 49ers have a real legitimate chance to win. And on the other side... It's the absolute benefit of getting a second week, of getting that 13, 14-day gap in between games. And now you get to find out, hey, can Whitney Merciless come back? Can uh, Zadarius Smith come back? You know, can Jair Alexander come back? And so those are the kind of things that, you know, you get, when you have that buy that are bordering on the luxurious, you know, if you're talking about what's really important at this time of year. Jimmy Garoppolo also with the shoulder injury on top of the lingering thumb injury. He's been removed from the injury report. No designation, which means he is absolutely positively good to go. You mentioned Fred Warner. His ankle injury apparently won't keep him from playing. It looked bad when it happened late in the game on Sunday against the Cowboys. So good news tentatively as it relates to Bosa from an injury standpoint for the 49ers. And as to the Packers, Randall Cobb back from injured reserve. He had core yeah, muscle surgery. Big. We used to call I, re big. I remember when we used to call that a sports hernia. I guess core muscle surgery. Yeah. I don't know. Does that sound I don't know. Sound better? Sound more I don't know, more advanced. Either way, he's back. Um and which is good because Marquez Valdez Scantling is listed as doubtful with a back injury. So Randall Cobb, the guy who was the peace offering by Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, back at the yeah. start of training camp. It feels like years ago when Aaron Rodgers aired out his dirty laundry and his grievances against the front office. And lo and behold, here comes Randall Cobb, a guy they really didn't want that they could have had back pretty much any time over the past few years. They brought him back at the behest of Aaron Rodgers, and now he'll be available to play. And if MVS isn't there, that, that can only help Aaron Rodgers have a target. If they blanket Devontae Adams, and they have that overmatched secondary, he's going to need other guys that he can trust to throw the ball to. He's got Alan Lazard, who has developed nicely, but now with Cobb back, that's just one more weapon. Look, here's the really important thing about Randall Cobb, okay? You know, we all know that Aaron Rodgers is a creature of habit. And when you see Aaron Rodgers play a football game, you see him playing never with happy feet, with jittery feet, you know, looking in any way but utterly, absolutely calm, even when he's getting firestormed by a pass rush. What Randall Cobb does is he gives Aaron Rodgers a guy who is the ultimate comfortable receiver for a quarterback because one of the things that Randall Cobb does, he runs precision routes he always has and 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 so this is almost like remember a few years ago when the Patriots beat Atlanta obviously in the Super Bowl and the two most important receivers down the stretch were Chris Hogan 
and Malcolm Mitchell. And you look at that and you say, why in the world is, is he going to, you know, Hogan and Mitchell over these, you know, Gronk and, and Edelman and all that stuff. And the reason is because Tom Brady knew that they were incredibly precise route runners. And that is exactly what, what Aaron Rodgers has in Randall Cobb. And, and I think if Randall Cobb holds up in this game, Mike, and it's a game in the fourth quarter, I will guarantee you that there will be multiple targets to Randall Cobb down the stretch. And I don't disagree with that. And again, the 49ers defense on the back end, not great. Troy Aikman, the former Cowboys quarterback, went off earlier this week on 97-6, the ticket, or 96-7. One way or the other, they know who we mean. In Dallas, talking about how the Cowboys failed to take advantage of that secondary. They were so focused on their scheme, they lost sight of the fact that C.D. Lamb had single coverage all day long. So you throw him the ball, you throw him the ball, you throw him the ball. Whoever's getting single coverage against an overmatched defensive back is going to be getting the ball a lot, and maybe it will be a cob because maybe they'll be focused primarily on Devontae Adams and secondarily on Alan Lazard. So we know how the Packers are. We know how good They've been 13 and four after two straight 13 and three seasons. Here they are playing at home at Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers, MVP, most likely. What do the 49ers have to do to pull this off? To come out of there with the ticket to Tampa or Los Angeles for the NFC Championship? You know, I said this last week, the exact same thing about uh, the 49ers going into Dallas. I think they have to limit the number of possessions that Aaron Rodgers has. And in last week, I said it about Dak Prescott. You know, the golden game for San Francisco is for Rodgers to get the ball seven or eight times, and that's it. And the reason that is, is because if you limit his number of possessions, you know that you are controlling the game on the ground, that Elijah Mitchell... Uh, you know, is being effective. Debo Samuel from his hybrid spot is being effective. And you are getting the benefit of being able to run the clock. That's what I think is important for San Francisco in this game. Yeah, and also minimizing the opportunities for Jimmy Garoppolo to screw everything up. And I'm done being <laughs> diplomatic about this. And there is... A Garoppanon cult, much like the Tuanon cult, that gets mad. And I just think it's basic fandom where you know this is the guy that we're stuck with, so we're going to rally around him. We're going to support him, even though we know deep down he can be counted on to F everything up at some point, like he tried to do last week. Blown opportunity when Brandon Ayu was wide open when it was 23-7 and they could have added to it. Blown opportunity. And even more than a blown opportunity, it was opening the door with that interception you see on the screen when it was 23 to 10. And one thing leads to another, and it's 23 to 17. And the 49ers, in a game that they thought they were easily winning, had to sweat it out and sweat it out until the final ticks came off the clock. You got to find a way. And I remember very vividly two years ago in the divisional round, last game I attended, one of the last times I traveled before the world turned upside down. Jimmy Garoppolo served up three balls that Eric Kendricks of the Vikings could have intercepted. He ended up intercepting one of them. On the last one in the third quarter, that's when Kyle Shanahan put Jimmy Garoppolo into Bob Greasy mode. 
and he had very limited opportunities to throw for the rest of that game. Hardly any in the NFC Championship against the Packers. That's what the 49ers need to do. Limit Jimmy Garoppolo, which means maximize Debo Samuel, maximize George Kittle, but especially Samuel. But I think that just enough happened late last week to freak out Kyle Shanahan. He can attribute it to the injuries, whatever it takes. Look, Jimmy knows, he knows deep down that while he can help that team win, he also can be counted on to screw everything up at the worst possible time. And I don't think Shanahan is going to let him screw this up. That's going to be one of the keys. You can't let Jimmy G screw it up. Well, you know, last week after the game, Mike, uh, I had a chance to talk to Garoppolo for about 10 minutes. I put our conversation on my podcast this week. And I think that I came away uh, a little bit empathetic toward Garoppolo because, you know, when Paul Burmeister explained it on my podcast this week, your thumb is your anchor when you throw the football without having the thumb as an anchor. You know, and Burmeister theorized that it's probably shot up before the game wears off in the second half. And then that throbbing pain is coming in again. So, look, it, it, as well as everything you said when he did not come through sort of in the clutch uh, two years ago in the playoffs, uh, it, you know, their, their Super Bowl year, I do think that the other part of it is that, you know, his mechanics are messed up. And he's just going to enter this game at a pretty significant throwing disadvantage. That's another reason why the running game becomes vitally important for the 49ers. And all the more reason to minimize his role and you have the cover of an injury because, frankly, healthy or not healthy, it's still going to happen. still going to happen. And I understand that the thumb is a factor, but it's still going to happen. He had bad interception before the thumb injury on that Thursday night against the Titans, bad interception after the thumb injury, good throw before the thumb injury, good throw after the thumb injury. The key is that one moment you can count on. You can count on. You can set your watch to it. There's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo at the worst possible time doing something that makes it either harder for the 49ers to win or causes them to lose. Let's pivot to the Sunday game, Rams-Buccaneers. That'll be on NBC, 3 p.m. Eastern. Coverage begins at 2 o'clock Eastern. NBC and Peacock game also streams on Peacock. Leonard Fournette, a key member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, participated in portions of practice on Thursday. They need the running game. This is something that Sims was harping on yesterday, and I think he's 100% accurate. When the Buccaneers and Rams have gotten together the past two regular seasons, too much throwing from Tom Brady, a stubbornness when it comes to throwing and throwing. The Rams are a team that you can beat up front if you can run the ball effectively. Well, look at the 49ers did on the Monday night in the regular season when they manhandled and dismantled the Rams. And then week 18, even when they were down 17-0, they kept running because that's where the weakness is in the Rams' defense. You're not going to pass them into submission. You're going to run them into submission. So they need Fournette back. He's been out for several weeks now with a hamstring injury, Peter, but they desperately need him back and need him healthy. You know what's interesting, Mike? I remember when Leonard Fournette got cut in late August of 2020, and I was like everybody else. Even though he had had a good year in 2019, I thought he was such damaged goods that I would have been surprised if anybody picked him up for any sort of prominent role. And 
right away the Bucks wanted him, and and he goes into the Bucks, and he still is kind of bitter about being cut, and he doesn't realize what he's walking into, and what he was walking into at first <clears throat> was a job share with Ronald Jones, but soon everybody sees by the end of the season everybody sees he is not only a good running back okay but he is a battering ram and no one really saw the full part of his game you know battering ram running back an excellent receiver out of the backfield and when he pulled his hamstring whatever six eight weeks ago i think that was really damaging to the Bucks' long-term chances. And I'm going to be very curious to watch on Sunday, A, what his workload is going to be, and B, does he look like Leonard Fournette? Does he look like a guy who can be the most important offensive weapon other than Tom Brady for the Bucks to get a return trip to the Super Bowl? Yeah, and, you know, the reality is this year Fournette morphed into one of Tom's guys. He had his guys, Mike Evans, Antonio yeah. Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette. Ronald Jones has been injured lately as well. They've relied on Keyshawn Vaughn in the running game. Le'Veon Bell's been kind of MIA, although when he plays, he looks like a, a shadow of what he once was. Gio Bernard, still a little banged up. He he contributed some last weekend in the running game, but they, they just need somebody to move the chains and run between the tackles and take some of the steam out of the pass rush and just demoralize the Rams. They become demoralized if you can consistently run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, and that, that's what they need to do if they want to hold off a team that has beaten them each of the last two regular seasons. Now, they last played in week three, and the Rams have added pieces since then. Cam Akers they didn't have because he had torn his Achilles tendon in July just before the start of training camp. He's back. He's a difference maker when it comes to taking some of the heat off of Matthew Stafford. OBJ and Matthew Stafford are finding their rhythm. They're finding their groove, and that's helped the Rams in recent weeks. And Vaughn Miller has settled in, realizing, hey, life is easy when I'm not the guy who's being double teamed with a chip on my way to the quarterback because everyone's focused on Aaron Donald. So the Rams are better than they were when they beat Brady and the Buccaneers back in week three. And you look at some of the injuries and the changes and no AB. I mean, it's hard to say the Buccaneers are even as good as they were back in week three, Peter. But even but 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 they still have Tom Brady and single elimination time. Everything is different for him. Hey, look, you know, the biggest thing for the Bucks now is the impact of the Tristan Wirfs injury. You know, it's, it's you know, I, I think people sometimes get tired of listening to the discussion of, at times like this, battle of attrition, you know, in the postseason. But it absolutely unequivocally is true. If you lose or, you know, the best right tackle in football, in my opinion, which is what Tristan Wirfs is, if you lose or he is damaged going into a game like this, particularly against a dangerous defensive front like the Rams have, I think that's when you're going to see some adjustments <clears throat> on the part of Tampa Bay. And that's why the running game becomes so important because you really don't know if the time that Tom Brady is used to having throwing the ball if he's going to have that on Sunday. 
Well, you're right. And look, he has made it clear he knows where he's going to go with the ball before he even has it in his hands. But that guy still has to get open. And if the walls close in on him before the guy he wants to throw it to is in a position where it can be thrown, what have we seen Tom Brady do in recent years? What did he do multiple times last year in the NFC Championship that helped open the door for the Packers to come back? When in doubt, when the heat is on, the ball gets thrown up into the air and it's up for grabs. And there were multiple interceptions by the Packers last year. And that would have been regarded as one of the all-time great playoff meltdowns if the Packers had come back and won that game down 28-10 because it would have been a fueled. It would have been fueled by Tom Brady's willingness to throw the ball up for grabs in order to avoid taking a hit to his then 43-year-old, now 44-year-old body. And look, hey, you know, I, I, I – this is a scary matchup for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I still give them the edge because nobody understands how to deal with the pressure. Nobody thrives on it. It's not even pressure anymore. It's familiar. It's like a pair of slippers that's been fully broken in. Tom Brady loves it. It's home for him. Whereas Matthew Stafford, this is the farthest he's ever advanced in his career that dates back to 2009. So I just think from the standpoint of nerves, the standpoint of comfort, the standpoint of who's going to settle in if it's close in the fourth quarter and take over. I give all those check marks to Tom Brady, but you got to get there. And this Rams team is good enough. And if, and if I'm Sean McVay, what I'm trying to do is deliver the earliest possible knockout punch to the Buccaneers so I don't have to worry about Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Mike, you know, the <clears throat> the other advantage to Tampa Bay really is the fact that the Rams – played Monday night, going 2,900 miles across the country. And, you know, they've got those sort of edges, Tampa Bay does, possibly facing a little bit more of a tired team, you know, in this game. But I do think that once the game starts and the adrenaline starts, most of that, you know, is just frittered away. I think one of the important things for, uh, for the Rams is not putting the entire game on Matthew Stafford's shoulders is being able to run the ball <clears throat> even if you're only going to be able to run it with a modicum of success against that Vita Vea-led defensive front of the Bucks. You simply can't put the ball in Stafford's hands 48 or 50 times and hope that you have a positive outcome, at least in my opinion. I just don't think that's the way this game is a winning formula for the Rams. 17 throws on Monday night for Matthew Stafford, the fewest of his career in any game that he did not leave early due to injury. That's amazing. Both he and Sean McVay said earlier this week it was just flow of the game, short fields, pick six. But having Cam Akers back, even though he didn't have gigantic numbers, having him back as a compliment for now to Sony Michelle, but able to take over potentially a game like this and really provide balance. They were way out of balance. 38 runs and 17 Matthew Stafford passes on Monday Amazing. night. And maybe they need yeah. something like that again. Because you know, there's a, even though Stafford is a much better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo, there's still that, what we'd seen in recent weeks, that propensity to short circuit and serve up a pick six, even though he recovers from it well. You know, after that that first half debacle in Baltimore, he was 14 for 14 in the second half. But you don't want to give the Buccaneers an unwarranted and unearned touchdown 
because there's an unforced error from Matthew Stafford. So that is one of the key things. Now, another angle, Peter, in this one that has emerged late in the week, and I'm just intrigued by this. Um, Rob Ninkovich, former Brady teammate, was on ESPN this week, and Ninkovich suggested, and he was kind of subtle, but, you know, Ninkovich is a guy who's kind of in the know, and he said some things this year that make you think, what does he really know, whether it's the Patriots or, or whatever, people that he knew while he was playing. He said it, it wouldn't surprise me if Tom Brady walked away after the season. What else does he have to prove? Well, I mean, his wife's been telling him that for five years now. But it just seemed odd to me because Brady's made it clear he's going to play through 2022 he's made it clear he's going to do that and then assess what he's going to do after that so this was just kind of a strange curveball and what really put it on my radar screen let's have a listen to how Byron Leftwich, the Buccaneers offensive coordinator handled a question about what Ninkovich had said during a press conference on Thursday I mean I don't I don't know him I don't didn't really hear the comment but Tom's playing at a high level man <laughs> I'll leave it at that <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't want to work too hard to read between the lines here, but Brady has said he's playing through next year. He's said it. But wouldn't it be the all-time great setup? Because I know from people that I've talked to over the years, he never wants to have a Derek Jeter year where it's all about him. He never wants to have a farewell tour. He never wants to be the center of attention. I think what happened with Ben Roethlisberger a couple of weeks ago, that would make Brady's skin crawl. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want it to be about him. It's about team. What better way to avoid that from ever happening then set up an ending point to your career, 2022, and then we'll decide what to do after that and never even get to 2022. That's why that's why there's a little sliver of me that's thinking maybe Ninkovich really is onto something here and maybe Brady is going to stun all of us, especially if they win a Super Bowl, by saying, that's it, I'm done. You know, maybe. I, I mean... I think this is one of those things. Remember the old spy versus spy where, you know, I'm going to make this move. It's like in a game of chess. You saw it in Queen's Gambit. What, a, what an incredible show it was where you're thinking three or four moves ahead, seven or eight moves ahead. And I think sometimes in this business, and again, I have no idea what Rob Ninkovich knows he knows more about the he knows more inside stuff about the Patriots and about Brady than I know. But I just know this that if Tom Brady walks away, at least in my opinion, just gut feeling, it won't be because, you know, he 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 doesn't love football. Or or, you know, it won't mean it won't be because he really doesn't want to play anymore. I, I don't know why he would do that. He was very clear to me in training camp uh, that not in any words that, that were spoken. I mean, I, I'd be very surprised if this is his last year. Very. Oh, I would, but I would again, be too. Yeah. Again, I do want to just say one, one thing about this, okay? So Tom Brady also understands, and I think a lot of what we hear in Brady with man in the arena and and stuff about his personal life and he's so much more into his family uh or, or so into his family i shouldn't say so much more into he's always you know been very much a family person i do think that the only thing 
that could throw a wrench into this is if he really truly feels deep inside that I need to be more fair to my family. That's the only way he would do this because he is playing at such a high level. He's playing not like he's 44, but like he's 24. So there's, there'd be no football reason and he worships football. He loves this game. So I think if he does quit, it has to have something to do with family. That's all I would think. And and I wouldn't view it really, quit is really kind of, uh, you know, it, it almost denigrates what, what Brady would do. You know, if he retires, I should say, I, I think it'd have to do with family rather than football. And he's mentioned that tension. On one hand, he never wants yeah. to watch football and say, I could still be doing it. These guys suck. I'm better than them. Why am I not out there? On the other hand, how much of the evolution of your family do you want to miss when you're playing this far into your life? Everybody else has tapped out, not by choice, but because of father time, because there's somebody younger, better, faster, cheaper, whatever. Other guys don't have the luxury of having to carry this burden into their 40s, into their mid-40s, where another year of making the commitment, another year of being away, another year of being all in from January until July to keep your body in the right overall condition so you're ready to go. How many of those can you take before you wake up one day and your kids are out of the house? I mean, I think that is the other side of it. And that maybe would be the thing that would do it. And Peter, you were touching on something earlier, and I think this is the point you were trying to make. And if I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. Nikovich didn't act like he was sharing anything. He didn't say, a source told me this. He was presenting it as his own, don't be surprised if this yeah. happens. And, and without going too far into how we make our sausage, you and I both know that there are plenty of times that somebody tells us something with the understanding that we can't report it, we have to present it as our own idea. Just to provide that extra layer of cover. And some people may be shocked by that. But sometimes the things we present as our ideas aren't really our ideas. <laughs> There's somebody telling us something, saying, go ahead and use it as your idea, but don't report it. So I th that's kind of what flashed for me when you were talking about Ninkovich. Maybe Ninkovich knows something that he's been sworn to not ever say, but he hasn't been told, don't present this as your own idea. Hey, look, there's one other factor in this, Mike, that everybody really marvels at Tom Brady playing until he's 44. Or, you know, if he does play next year, play until he's 45. But... I just want to remind everybody that how different the game is. In football in 2021, now 2022, when an errant hand brushes up against a quarterback's helmet, it's 50-50 whether that's going to be called blow to the head 15 yards. And every time a quarterback goes down, even if it's natural, even if he just barely momentarily releases it and then he gets hit, he's looking at the referee standing behind him in the field of play and he's looking for that flag. So just understand how different this game is 
you know, a couple of weeks ago for an NBC thing for the Super Bowl pregame show. I had a long talk with Terry Bradshaw, and you'll see the piece on the pregame show. But what was so interesting is how Terry Bradshaw empathizes so much with sort of the the era of quarterbacks when you know quarterbacks were regular football players you know and 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 now today they are it's kind of like tackle everybody else two hand touch on the quarterback and that's an exaggeration quarterbacks can get drilled we all see it but it happens so seldom now and the NFL about 8 or 10 years ago came up with this plan mike i remember at league meetings they came up they're saying we have to protect the quarterback better and it drove almost every decision that the competition committee made and i'm exaggerating but it drove so many decisions and so right now a quarterback can go through a season and maybe take one or two really big hits the entire year instead of one or two big hits in a half when Terry Bradshaw played. And nowadays, when we see a quarterback take an old school big hit, even if everything about it is fully within the confines of the rules, and there are like seven different ways you can commit roughing the passer, but if it's a clean legal hit, but it's just too devastating of a hit, what happens? Flag comes out because it looks like something should be wrong with it. It looks like the kind of hit that is out of the game now, even though nothing about that hit when you break it down violates the rules. And we've seen it. It's all over the place. Peter, I say this less and less jokingly all the time because there's so much inconsistency in the calling of roughing the passer. They should just make it like roughing the punter and roughing the kicker. Then we would know. Then we'd have no misunderstanding as to what is and isn't allowed. Once the ball's out, can't touch him. Because a lot of times... If you touch him after the ball's out, the flag's coming anyway. So why not say that's the rule? Then everybody knows you're going to get that flag. That's how bad it's gotten this year. And look, I don't defend it at all, but I do know that in the case of quarterbacks wondering if they should play again, wondering if they should take that one more year. Look at Aaron Rodgers. You know, what is he now, 38? I mean, Aaron Rodgers knows absolutely categorically right now that I'm sure that other than his toe, you know, he's got to have a, you know, a bump or a bruise somewhere. But he enters the middle of January, late January, feeling pretty darn good. And, and, and I can, with the exception, I think, really, of maybe Jimmy Garoppolo right now, You've got seven out of the eight quarterbacks left. Joe Burrow maybe with that knee tweak. But you've got seven of the eight quarterbacks left in these playoffs who are pretty healthy. There's no, uh, nobody, there's no John Wayne act going out there. The only guy who's really legitimately affected now is Garoppolo. That's it. And that's very, in my opinion, even 10 or 15 years ago, you look at the final eight, the elite eight, and you would see three or four quarterbacks who were going to have something cleaned up after the season, you know, or who were, you know, nursing something. And now you get to the end of the season and the NFL's rules have done exactly what they were intended to do. Keep quarterbacks on the field 
so that monster TV ratings like the Dallas-San Francisco rating will keep coming and coming and coming. Two very brief points for me before we take a break. One, the fact that Garoppolo is the one who's banged up illustrates the exasperation the 49ers have with him that he can't stay healthy, and it's one of the reasons why they traded up to get Trey Lance. Two, I think from Tom Brady's perspective, he may be keenly aware of the reality that if he signs up for another year, whatever that one more year is, there's a chance that Father Time doesn't catch you between January and July. There's a chance that Father Time finally whacks you over the head with his gigantic hourglass during a season, and you see a falling off the cliff happen during a season. That's probably the last thing Tom Brady wants, is to make an exit where he dramatically disintegrates. Only he knows what he's currently doing at age 44 and five months to hold it together and physically be able to go out there and compete against guys literally half his age now. But I think it's some love. And again, we're, we're in uncharted waters here. When when you get to this point, I think if you're Brady, you have to be keenly aware of the possibility that between July and January of your last year, we're going one more year, July and January, Peter, it may be October, it may be November, it may be December, it may, de- may be September, but all of a sudden, that's it. It's done. It's over. Your body won't recover the way it did. Nothing you do matters. So I don't want to ever take the chance of being in that spot. That's, that's the one factor that he has no data point to look to because nobody's ever done this before. But I think that's the one thing that would worry me if I were him, that I end up getting myself into a spot where it all falls apart in front of everyone during a season. Well, I get that, Mike, and I think you're absolutely right, but I'll give you this proviso. Why would you think that after one of the best three years of the greatest career a quarterback has ever had? And we have just seen it. You know, you look at, I would, I would say this, if you look at both his numbers and his performance, the only year that I would look at is better than this one, absolutely, is uh, 2007. You know, when he threw 900 touchdown passes to Randy Moss. And, and, and so if you're Tom Brady and you see how much you're protected, and look, the open joke in the NFL is you can't touch Tom Brady anyway. That's what all defensive coordinators think. And, and, and so I just, you know, with all due respect, I just don't think that thought goes through Tom Brady's head because this year at the age of 44, he was at or near the peak of his life in terms of his performance. And yes, there might be some things that we don't know that really hurt, that nag at him. But I'll, I'll just finish with this. I remember when Brady, when I asked him after that Super Bowl, remember I went up and visited him in Montana about a week after the game. And we had this long conversation about playing with pain. Remember the, the Grady Jarrett hit in that Super Bowl? Holy cow. It hit, he hit Brady in the end zone, knocked the wind out of him. And my gosh, that was one of the biggest hits that I've ever seen a quarterback take. And Brady sort of got on all fours and anyway and got up. But we talked about how much quarterbacks have to play in pain. And he, and he said to me right then, he goes, look, when I was like 24, 25 years old, I felt so horrible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after a game 
that I said, well, I guess if this is the price I have to pay to be a quarterback in the NFL, I guess I'll do it. But isn't there something I can do about this? And that's when he got into all the pristine eating and he started bucking the trend. The biggest answer, if you're in pain, is lift more weights. No, it's flexibility. It's pliability. And for some positions, yeah, lift more weights. For a quarterback, don't. Get to be more flexible, do yoga, do all those things. And it flew in the face of everything that Bill Belichick believed in, but eventually he let him do it. And so I guess that's a long way of saying, a long way around of saying that I just, I don't think that thought is going through Tom Brady's head. He might be thinking of leaving for some other reason, but I doubt it's a physical one. Well, the possibility wasn't even on my mind. It was nowhere near my radar screen until Nikovich said what he said and Leftwich responded the way he did. Now I'm at least intrigued by what happens next whenever their season comes to an end. And in theory, it could come to an end on Sunday on NBC if the Rams can outscore the Buccaneers. Let's take a break. When we return, we'll flip it over to the AFC. Bengals, Titans, Bills, Chiefs to determine the two spots in the AFC championship game. We'll do that next here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. KB first home shutout yes, since 2000, man. So he's fighting them out. Yes, sir. Defense. Speed, speed, speed. Get to the ball. He's in trouble. Roethlisberger, sack. Roethlisberger, he's grabbed. Sack. One, two, three. Yeah. It don't matter who on the other side. It's all about us. Yeah. So, for the first step, to the last step. Foreman pounding into the end zone. Touchdown. Titan. Tannehill steps up. AJ's got it. Man, 
I need to find a wall I can go run into and bounce off of after watching that. And, you know, <laughs> the highlights from that Thursday night game right before Christmas, I was so pissed at the Titans. I thought they'd win. They were down 10 nothing. I made the mistake of tweeting, are the Titans frauds? Discuss. And then they found their groove. They found their mojo. They came back and won that game. That was the night where I looked at the Titans and I said, wow, if they get Derrick Henry back, or even if they don't, this is a team that you got to take seriously. To, to be able to bend a game that is clearly not going your way. You're clearly the lesser of the two teams. To bend it your way, that was huge. And that's what sold me on the idea that this team could end up climbing the top of the mountain. And now with Derrick Henry back, it, assuming that he plays, they're being very coy about it. Henry was coy about it this week. Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, the head coach, was coy about it yesterday. They get Henry back, Peter. And, you know, this team that's just kind of boring, they're not a lot of sizzle, they don't have a lot of national attention, they, they may be forcing their way deep into the conversation starting this weekend. Look, you know, one of the things about that I really admire about John Robinson, the GM, and about Mike Vrabel, the coaches, you know, we've talked about the Titans a lot, and I, I find this, it's absolutely amazing to me that, you know, when you have 91 players who play in a game for you, it basically means that those 45 guys who are there for you opening day, you know, imagine, just imagine, no coach could ever imagine this, that I'm going to need 45 more by the first week of January. It, it's, it's totally insane. But the one thing, and I'm just going to give you this as a tangible example of why I strongly considered John Robinson for my executive of the year this year. And it's because if you look at the two guys who came in, the two absolutely totally unknown guys, Foreman and Hilliard, who came in uh, for, uh, for Derrick Henry for, in the last half of this season, think about this. They rushed for 916 yards and 4.8 yards a carry. Okay, and they did this while there was being some injuries and some COVID on the offensive line. And it just tells you, it just tells you that this is a team that is not solely reliant on one player. And it will be great to get Derrick Henry back. Because, look, even though it, what I say about uh, Foreman and Hilliard, you have to also look at the fact that this team was only four and three down the stretch, was not a particularly explosive offensive team other than in the game against Miami. And so that's why I think a lot of people look at this team and say, you've got a red hot Cincinnati quarterback that comes in. And even though the Titans strength, I think is on that defensive front and can really, really damage the chance of a quarterback to have enough time to riddle you. I think that's why people look at this game and say, hey, road team's got a heck of a shot. Well, that's right, because Joe Burrow's got that vibe of a guy who, who doesn't care about underdogs, doesn't care about point spreads, doesn't care about anything Never other than has. going out and killing you with a smile on his face and some peach fuzz on his cheeks. And it's just amazing that that attitude – and this is the great – collision this weekend you've got a titans team that especially with derrick henry if he plays 
is constructed and ready to make its run to play January football. Then you got this kid that's coming in and he's just, he just shrugs and he's going to do his thing. My concern though, when I look back to and think back to what happened on Saturday, I think there were too many blown opportunities by the Cincinnati offense early field goals instead of touchdowns, which allowed the Raiders to hang around defensive lapses in the second half, which made the game closer than it should have been. That's where I'm concerned for the Bengals, because if that's your performance at home, you take it on the road, it's going to be harder. And I saw something today, and I'm going to write about this at PFT after the show. Apparently, the Titans have come up with some way to make it harder for Bengals fans to buy tickets. They've limited the transfer window. They're trying to keep Bengals fans out. It, it may it may be and, and I don't even think you can do old school scalping anymore because for a lot of these teams there's nothing to scalp it's on your phone, but they're trying to take full advantage of the home field advantage and make it a hostile environment for Joe Burrow and company and that's one big difference from last week too and yeah we say home field advantage doesn't matter and then the home teams went five and one last weekend so this is going to be a tough one for the Bengals but if if Burrow and company can win this one if they can get past this round. They can win the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, look, you know, to win, I'll just say this, that, you know, I understand that people look at this game like the Bengals have a real chance to win the game. I get it. And I think they have a chance to win the game. But I'll tell you what, after watching the Buffalo Bills and after watching Kansas City last weekend, I, I... Man, I'll tell you, I said to a couple of people this week that I'm sitting there finishing my football morning in America column. It's like 3.30, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning. And the, the, uh, an email comes into my inbox with, you know, the odds on the, uh, on, the champ, on the playoff games coming weekend. And I start looking at it and I said, do you mean the Buffalo Bills are underdogs? Did you see what I just saw? You know, but but legitimately, if you look at it, you know, Buffalo and Kansas City are both playing at a monumentally high level right now. So, look, I, I think the Bengals, you know, could go very far this year. They could win it. But, man, their offensive line scares me a little bit. And I think at some point, Burrow is going to face so much pressure that even he can't overcome it when he's got a score in the 30s to win. Bad news defensively. We've talked previously this week about the Larry Ogunjobi injury. He won't be playing for the rest of the postseason. Trey Hendrickson, though, who has been one of the great free agent signings of the year, free agent signings of the past decade, uh, I think set a right. team record in sacks this year. He cleared concussion protocol, and he will play, and they will need him chasing around Ryan Tannehill if that Bengals defense wants to make some noise. But, Peter, you mentioned Bill's Chiefs, and I, th- th- this feels like it should be the AFC championship, not a divisional round game. And whoever wins Titans-Bills or Titans-Bengals, uh, excuse me, needs to be very, very thrilled by the reality that they didn't have to face both the Bills and the Chiefs on their path <laughs> to a Super Bowl. But they yeah. still have to play one of them, whoever wins this game. And that's the one I went back and forth on the most this week. I, I, I hope it's a high-scoring game. Both teams scored in the 40s in the wild-card round. And it, it just feels like everything's lining up for this to be a special game, which probably means the final score is going to be 41-3. to But it feels like it's moving in the direction of being a special, memorable, back-and-forth, 
whoever has the ball last is either going to score a touchdown to win or fail and the other team wins. It just feels like that's where it's heading. Yeah, this is this is really one of the great uh, divisional playoff games in history uh, because you're you, you you know on one side of it the home team uh, basically is a prime Super Bowl contender every year has won one you know has be, been on the verge of one another time and then you know obviously was so close uh, to winning another one until they got blown out by by the Bucks. And on the other side is a team that just played one of the great playoff games that a team has played in NFL history with a red-hot quarterback and the ability to beat anybody. And I look at this, Mike, and you know what I really, really like about this? I like the fact that this is the fourth time that these two teams have played in 15 months. And for as much as I criticize the schedule because very often it doesn't give us enough of the really great matchups between the great quarterbacks. The NFL schedule has basically conspired to give us Bills Chiefs in the regular season two years in a row and Bills Chiefs in the playoffs two years in a row. And so that means that to me anyway, this becomes kind of uh, a standard in, in a weird way for the NFL to aspire to. You know, we've got to find a way to make sure. And, and if the current way of the 17th game of that little formulaic way that they invented this year doesn't quite work, go to the Peter King formula, which is every year, Howard Katz, Mike North, that schedule team sits down and says, we are going to make the best matchups we can to get the highest numbers we can in ratings and to get the best football games that we can. I wish they would do it that way personally. I know they're not going to do it, but to me, I think the Bills, Buffalo and Kansas City is just a sign that, you know, the more often they play, the better it is for football. And and the key is, if both teams win their division, they're guaranteed to play the next year no matter what. Because if you win the division that you're in, you always play the other three division winners from your conference yeah. every year without fail. And that's one of the reasons why Peyton Manning and Tom Brady became such a regular rivalry. They dominated their division, so they played almost every regular season against each other, and they kept crossing paths in the playoffs. And Peter, I said the other day, it feels like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes were waiting for the new Brady Manning. This this could be kind of bubbling up out of all these great quarterback permutations that are out there, and we're right. looking and waiting and hoping. This may be it, staring us in the face in the divisional round. It feels like, again, it should be AFC Championship, but Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes may be it. Hey, and, you know, neither of them come into this game playing anything but at their absolute peak and that's what makes this such an enticing matchup and I and and one of the other things Mike is that I think both players but particularly Patrick Mahomes has really had to make a huge adjustment in his game because look Mahomes knows that Tyreek Hill isn't in perfect condition he knows that 
that he's got to make sure that he looks for other people. And so what has happened the last two games in Kansas City? Byron Pringle has become a legitimate option for Patrick Mahomes. What's happened in the last two weeks? Jarek McKinnon has become an excellent uh, you know, third down and, and every down option. The kind of player that the San Francisco 49ers bought in free agency four years ago and never were able to see the fully formed Jarek McKinnon because he was always hurt. But Kansas City is the beneficiary of that. And, and look, to me right now, they play with house money when they have Jarek McKinnon, Byron Pringle. It's just an example of the work that Brett Veach and his personnel staff have done in making this roster almost bulletproof to injury. I thought two, two weeks ago, this team was in real legitimate trouble. And it's almost like Andy Reid laughs at real legitimate trouble because they have been just, last week they were just as powerful as, you know, as, as ever against Pittsburgh. And they're playing it with, you know, the stand-ins. Yeah, and that's a great point. And Jarek McKinnon has been incredible for them, and they've been waiting for somebody to step up across from Tyreek Hill, and Pringle looks like he's the guy, at least for now. I'll say one last thing, and then we got to take a break. Whoever wins this game needs to guard against a letdown in the AFC Championship, especially if it's the Bills. Because you think about what the Bills have accomplished so far. If they, if they pull off this win, they beat the Patriots. They finally beat Big Brother at ping pong. Oh, and they kicked the crap out of them in the process. Them. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Then then you you defeat the other team that you can't get past. And I think back to the image of Stephon Diggs standing out there on the field watching the Chiefs celebrate the Lamar Hunt trophy presentation and winning the, their, their latest ticket to the Super Bowl last year and determining that, that they're going to get past the Chiefs this year. There's still a game between beating the Chiefs and getting to the Super Bowl. And whether it's the Bengals rolling into Buffalo on a day that may feel very celebratory, you know, like week one when the Steelers showed up and beat them somehow, or having to go to Tennessee and beat the Titans. I, I, I'm just saying that, that you can't lose focus. Whoever wins this game can't lose focus because they could be up for a letdown next week because whatever emotion, whatever motivation, whatever incentive, whatever excitement is baked into this one, it's not going to be the same next week and that's going to be part of the challenge for whoever wins to get ready for the next one that delivers the spot in the super bowl let's take a break we'll have more pft live for you right after this reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.